currently we have about 130 units. A lot of those are multifamily apartments. And then uh, there are a, a decent number of commercial uh, units in that mix as well. So restaurants, retail spaces, that, that, that sort of stuff. Welcome to the Real Construction Owners Podcast, where we interview real construction owners and people who are doing big things within their life in real estate. We talk about processes, we talk about failures, and today we have a special guest, a GoBundance brother of mine, Eric Rice out of Pennsylvania. He's a real estate investor who specializes in multifamily and doing heavy value ads. He's going to talk about some incredible stuff, so stay tuned. What's up, Eric? How you doing? Great, man. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Absolutely. So I'm curious, you know, we know each other from GoBundance, with, which is an awesome mastermind for individuals to come together and connect and do epic stuff together. Um, but you were referred to me because what you're doing in the historic space and, and getting large buildings. But before we get into that, tell us your background. Tell us your story. Like, what were you doing before you got into this and how'd you get into this? Sure. So I'll go back uh, a decent little ways. I, in college, I thought I wanted to be a wildlife biologist, which I, you know, I went through college. I did that, uh, jumped out, had a, a fantastic job on a beautiful barrier island uh, on, in the, on the South Carolina coast. Really enjoyed my work and then realized pretty quickly, like as I was driving up and down the beach, and looking at all these beach houses that like, that wouldn't be in my future if I continued to be a wildlife biologist. So I uh, decided to get into real estate uh, on the sales side. So I was looking at commercial or residential. I ended up going residential, moving up to Washington DC and kind of grinding it out there, uh, working you know 90 hours a week. And financially it was great. Um, and you know my wife and I enjoyed it at the time, but you know, we were sitting on the porch one night and, and decided like, all right, if we want to have kids and start a family, we, uh, we might want to think about moving back to, uh, to the Pittsburgh area in Pennsylvania, just a little bit of help and support. I could have a slightly more normal work schedule. So we did that. I continued to practice in residential real estate as a, as a sales associate, did well, and just got sick of the thinking about, uh, all right, I'm out here working every day selling. And when I stop, the money stops coming in. I'm not really, I'm taking all the risks of building a business and getting my own clients, but not, I don't really have anything to sell at the end of, at the end of the day when I want to slow down my work pace. And so at that point in time, I decided, all right, real estate investing is where it's at. I had helped many, many investors purchase properties, et cetera. And as an agent, and I was like, okay, you know, I, I was sitting on the wrong side of the table, basically. And I realized I need to own something and then I could, that I could create a business around that would continue to pay me. That's awesome. That's like when Jim Rohn, he was at a seminar, uh, you know, I'm sure who Jim Rohn is. He taught, sure. taught Tony Robbins and one of his guests, the real, was a real estate agent. She was a lady and she said, yeah, I sell real estate. And Jim, Jim Rohn said, yeah, but how much real estate do you have? And she's like, no, no, I sell real estate. And he's asked again, but how much real estate do you have? And she got the point. Yeah, yep, absolutely. What, 
what, uh, with that being said, you know, what does your portfolio look like now? Um, and how many years from that moment where you just stopped the story until now has that been? Yeah, so that was probably about five years ago, five and a half years ago. And my first kind of foray into real estate was buying a single family home that needed a lot, a lot, a lot, like a full gut job. And I thought I was going to do it by myself. Oh, no. In, in four months, you know what I mean? <laughs> classic, <laughs> uh, classic mistake. So uh, so from that time, and, and I can get into that story later if you'd like me to, but um, that took about a year. And then I realized that wasn't the right way to do it uh, and, and started looking uh, at bigger projects. My brother and I had the idea to, to go in together and, uh, and start buying bigger apartment buildings and portfolios of properties. And so really it started about four years ago, four and a half years ago. Uh, and at this point, I think currently we have about 130 units. A lot of those are multifamily apartments. And then uh, there are a, a decent number of commercial uh, units in that mix as well. So restaurants, retail spaces, that, that, that sort of stuff. And we've sold, you know, we sold a bunch of properties along the way. So let's unpack that a little bit. You you got into single family as your first thing. You realize, wow, six months into it, a year into it, you're like, I should have hired somebody. That was an expensive yeah. lesson on your time. Oh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. And, and then you decided to go bigger. And you were looking at commercial apartments. Uh, and then you were looking at, what, triple net leases? Yeah, they're not triple net. They're like modified gross leases. So it is relatively low workload for us. Uh, and, the, and the tenant typically takes care of most of the things within their space, which is nice. Um, we still do pay the taxes and, and insurance on those on those spaces just because of the market that they're in. It, it works a little bit better. That's incredible. So you acquired 130 units in four years? Yeah, yep. And uh, almost all of them have required like significant amounts of of work uh so whether that's you know full gut to the to pick the building up six inches in the middle and you know redo the foundation underneath it uh or just you know flooring paint cabinets kitchen so they've all they've all required quite a bit so even though you're not you know a owner of a construction company because that's our audience real construction owners the reason i bring you on this podcast today is because you are a real estate investor. And as an owner of construction company, a lot of people, they make good money, but then they don't invest it properly. And it sounds like you are an investor who happens to you know, find the right people to do the construction, which is awesome. Because with that, you're building a horizontal or passive income. Kudos to you, man. Now, I'm curious, uh, what would you say is like one of your, your, so if somebody wants to get started in finding these kinds of projects or properties, what were those steps that, what are the, the core steps that you take to get these deals? So, I mean, the first thing I would say is honestly, spend some time becoming educated on the space. And I think you can do that for free with your time when you're driving around from job to job, just by listening to some, some, some of the podcasts that are out there uh, and kind of figuring out what route you want to take. You can, you can invest in real estate in a whole bunch of different ways, but get educated, pick a path, 
and then start making connections and kind of building your your team so you're kind of building a business but you're not paying any of your your people so you're building your team of you know lenders brokers all the people that you need around you uh, attorneys so you want to make a good a good contact with an attorney um, so you want to kind of create that that little team around yourself so that when you do find that first deal you have the pieces in place to actually make it work um, and then you just got to go out and and really start looking at, at at properties and taking the initiative to to make an offer and and take the first step i mean really i think buying the first property and and making it you know giving it a shot is the number one thing that holds people back a lot of people analyze forever and never never pull the trigger and they look back five years from then they're like man if i would have bought that deal it would be generating two thousand dollars a month for my family now or 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 my business so yeah the owner of keller williams i uh, don't know his first name but there was an event and he basically said that an unsophisticated investor tries to time the market where a sophisticated investor knows that it's time in the market because the asset they're, they're not printing any more land you know yep. the, the land is there's a finite amount of that so Acquiring these pieces of real estate is, is what's important because you can have that passive income. So curious about um, where you're at now. We'll, we'll, let's go back a little bit. When you were first starting out, were you funding these yourself? What were the ways you were funding these deals? And currently, how are you funding? Yeah, so the, the first deal we did, uh, like I said, my brother and I kind of jumped in, decided we were going to do it. Uh, we found a portfolio of I think it was 56 units or something like that at the time. Um, kind of a hodgepodge of buildings that had been really not well taken care of, but we saw potential there. Uh, I think the deal was listed at like 1.6 million and we got them down to 1.223 million. And we wanted to do it with our own money and make mistakes with our own money uh, before we started talking to investors. Uh, we didn't have enough money at the time. So we grabbed a, a good friend of mine who happened to be a neighbor at the time. And uh, he and I had talked for years about starting something and doing something together. He said, we got to add Clayton to the mix. And uh, we went up kind of, I talked to Clayton about it. He was like, yep, I'm in. And so basically we all took like all the free cash that we had or could scrape together and, and bought that first deal. And uh, I think, so it was a 1.223 million purchase price. And I think we had 450,000 or so in construction funds to like get it up to speed. So, I mean, for us, that was a huge deal at the time. We, you know, the biggest deal we had done up until that point was just, you know, small, relatively cheap, single family stuff. Uh, so it was all of our own money and, and uh, it actually it turned out really well. We made a ton of mistakes on that, but. Uh, what, what, know, were, what were some of, what were some mistakes and what, what was the oh, end man. result of like the profit or whatever? Yeah. So, um, let's see, mistakes. We, we hired a contractor to paint the exterior of one of the buildings. It was a, a 12 unit residential building and uh, it had three retail spaces on the ground level. Uh, so it was like three stories tall, like a pretty significantly sized building on a nice corner in this neighborhood that we were in. And, and we hired this guy that talked really well and presented really well, but we didn't do a lot of background checking on him in, in terms of like his skill level. And he just, he was the low bid. We, we were trying to conserve money. He said he'd get it done quickly. He had a crew, et cetera, et cetera. 
and you know just it just drug on for months and like he'd paint like one portion of the building on the outside and then move to something else like it was and we we didn't honestly we didn't fire him fast enough so that yeah. was that was yeah. a huge mistake always check your references absolutely so what ended up happening with that property you still hold it did y'all sell it yeah so that was part of that initial 56 unit portfolio um we turned that all around relatively quickly and, and and got the occupancy levels up got the unit rents up significantly and i think we were in month 11 we refinanced that property and pulled out 85 percent of the cash that we had put into it so i think you know we each had maybe 20 grand or 30 grand into the deal still but now we had this nice million and a half ish dollar value uh kind of portfolio of properties with very very little money into it Man, that's brilliant. And some contractors don't know about this, the Burr method, where you buy something, you rehab it, you uh, rent it out, and then you refinance it. And then with that money, share to us, what did you do with, what did y'all do with that money, that refinance money? We went and bought like the fanciest cars and boats we could find. No, uh, <laughs> yeah. we, no, you uh, didn't. we went out. No, you and, didn't. Yeah, no, we, we levered it again and bought a bunch more properties in the in the same zone. Did the same strategy there, and did okay. It again. Let's do let's do deal number two on that. What was deal number two? Yeah, so deal number two was pretty simple. Two different owners, uh, but in the same neighborhood as those other properties that we had done. One was a newer vintage, like 2005 built, uh, 12 unit kind of apartment complex, we'll call it. And then the other was a commercial building uh, with uh, like a, a large karate studio on the first floor and four apartments above. And so we just kind of combined those all into one deal and bought all those on the same day and added another 17 units to that, to that portfolio. Uh, and and nice. went in and did, did the you, same. you Rehab. fixed it up, you fixed yep. it up. And were there any uh, expensive lessons or like stressful lessons from that? That, that part went a lot better than the first part. And, and at that time, to be clear, I guess we we're still, even though we had refied and pulled most of our money out, we still had lots of things to fix up. In the in the initial portfolio that were kind of ongoing while we were doing this as well, but yeah, I mean, rolling the money over uh, again and again has was the key to our success initially in, in growing the company. That's brilliant. So you refinance that second one, and and then we'll just move on to some of your bigger ones. Like, what are what is your next project that you're working on or historic project that you're most proud of? Yeah. So. Um, I mean, why don't I, I'll jump to one that we're kind of in the middle of right now or, or getting closer to the finish line on. Um, it was our first deal that we syndicated. So we, we brought in outside investors to it that were interested in placing money kind of in a real estate, you know, a physical real estate asset, but didn't have the time or the knowledge to, to actually, you know, do it, do a deal themselves. And so they placed some money with us. Uh, we went out and as part of the syndication, we bought a 62 unit, uh, apartment complex that was vacant and condemned uh wow. so vacant and condemned i can only imagine the mess you had in that one it was it was very bad very very bad and it was like a real uh significant blight to the neighborhood as well so when we bought it i mean one of the first things we do when we go into a to an area like that and it's a good like kind of C plus neighborhood, just working class, blue collar outside of the Pittsburgh area neighborhood. And 
you know, they had these, this problem property kind of right in the middle of it. So the first thing we do is make good relations with like the, the code official on the, at the local government level and just kind of start talking to them and showing them things that we've done in the past so that they know we're not going to come in and just like do the bare minimum, get it up to speed and, and just place anybody in there. And it took, they honestly, I don't think they believed us initially. And then as, as we kind of kept staying in touch with them and bringing them onto the job site, showing them what we were doing and, and what we were doing to the units, um, they kind of got behind us and, and started really uh, being supportive of it. But I mean, initially when we picked it up, it was, you know, like I said, vacant, but there were people breaking in and like staying there and doing drugs and, you know, all of the things that you can imagine. <laughs> it, it was <laughs> oh my God. Oh, so that's really powerful right there. You just dropped a nug. Basically, you said that y'all were getting good, making good relations with the code officials. Can you walk us through like how you did that and like what was the process to do that, meeting with them and so on and so forth? Yeah, for sure. And and it it stems back from our that initial deal that uh, that initial portfolio we bought years before in Coriopolis. We we did the same thing. We went to like the borough meetings and sat in on the meetings and then introduced ourselves to the mayor and the head of police, you know, police chief and the, the, the borough manager. And so we kind of, and that went really well. It was easy for us to work in that community. And then, so we've, we've kind of have adopted that model uh, since. And so as soon as we had that deal under contract before we even closed, you know, reached out to the, to the borough office, set up a time to go in, meet with the code officer, talk to her about what we we're going to do, uh, show her some of our previous work and, you know, just really start the relationship off well and, and kind of keep, you know, it wasn't constant. We weren't like barraging her with information, but we would reach out on a pretty regular basis to update our, her on what we're doing and, uh, and, and kind of bring her into the process. And that really honestly helps us you know, if you're if you're on the right page with the code officer, they carry kind of like a lot of weight. They could they can screw up a project for you, uh, or they can be a great asset. And we've always liked to have them as an asset, and and so we've always been successful with kind of just having good relationships with the local government. And and really, it's just about meeting, sitting down, taking time to listen to to what their issues are, maybe with the property that we're buying, and and how we can help solve them. You know, syndications for contractors or CEOs or people listening to this podcast that don't know what they are, um, can you elaborate a little bit more of what that is and how it's beneficial to somebody who has capital but just doesn't have the time to invest in real estate doing yeah. themselves? Yeah, so uh, a syndication is, is in, in the real estate sense or in the real estate investment world is basically there's a general partner or an operating partner of the deal. Uh, that's kind of our role. And then often it's structured as uh, limited partners and general partners. So a lot of times the, the, the people that participate in the syndication, they come in as limited partners, which means they're really just placing capital with that general partner. And the general partner runs the job, is responsible for, for all the decisions, steers the ship, and the LPs, the limited partners, are really passengers on that ship. Um, there's a typically a, you know, a very clear breakdown in structure of how limited partners get their returns paid out, um, what the length of the project is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. So effectively it's a way for, and, and people that are syndicating usually raise money in you know, 50,000 or $100,000 chunks from a, a number of people to hit their whatever $5 million raise that they're gonna do, whatever the number happens to be. Um, 
and it's just a way for for people to take money and invest it in in an alternative asset that's not really tied to the stock market performance and it's a, a physical thing that you can kind of go see touch feel smell and uh it's a way to diversify a portfolio for somebody that has cash that's looking to um, to invest it in in multiple ways. And and oftentimes syndications come with some passive cash flow, whether it be on a monthly or quarterly basis. Usually that's that's how they work. So you're getting cash flow, typically very low tax cash flow because there's depreciation that gets pushed back to the partners in a syndication as well. So that you know often you're there's enough depreciation that gets pushed back each year to the to the partners that it offsets the the tax implications that they would have on their on their gains in that year. Yeah, syndications are awesome because like, you know, myself, I'm I'm a do it myself kind of guy, but I've come to a point where I realize my time is worth x so much and I can't do it myself. So, I've found that investing in syndications has been beneficial because one, I get a passive monthly dollar amount that's more than I could get if I were to go buy a house and I get um, I get the depreciation benefits on my taxes. So I get, I get write-offs because, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. So yeah, it sounds like a win-win. And yeah, where are you and at? I'll flip that just real quick too. I mean, I feel the same way about working with really good contractors. Like I'm a DIY guy too. And I'm always like, well, I can just go down there and fix that, but it takes me longer. I don't do it as well as the professionals. <laughs> And I've realized like, all right, I can't do it all. So it's it's much better to hire a good contractor and and let them do what they're really good at. And that's kind of how I think a lot of folks that work with us feel is like, all right, they're really good at that. I'm gonna let them do that. For sure. And how's that project going? Where, what, where are y'all at with it? So I think we've, we've got uh, 30 units completely finished. Those are leasing up. I think we have 24 of those leased. Our rents are 21% above what we projected in our pro forma. So that's going to be good for returns for investors. And then the other, like the other building that's a part of that, we're probably four to six weeks on from completion of the other 32 units. So we'll have we'll have it those starting to lease up here in the next couple of months and, and get that project stabilized and then decide what we're going to do with it. I mean it should cash flow really well. So we'll probably sit on it for a while. That's awesome. And then refinance it and do it again. Eventually, yeah. When the uh, when the rates turn over in a couple of years, maybe. Good for you, man. Building something that is yours and that you can sell if you ever want to sell. So curious, uh, what's an ex- the most expensive or most painful lesson you've learned in real estate when it comes to construction? Yeah, I mean, I think it really goes back to to that initial lesson of vetting contractors correctly. And I'll give you a recent example of not doing that. So we, we restored this historic building, uh, you know, built in the late 1800s on a, on a kind of a small town main street, if you can picture that with retail on the ground level and then like two levels of office above. And, you know, we like poured a ton of extra money into the project, which happens, especially in the kind of the, the really old building restorations and renovations. Um, but we had never installed an elevator before into any of our projects. And so we had to, we, we went out and hired an elevator company to come in, we had to do that to get ADA compliance for the for the property and uh, and occupy the second and third levels. So we hired this guy, and you know, he he came off well again. We we did limited, pretty limited background checking on him, but he was doing a job down the street for somebody else, and uh, you know, 
other professional references that we had said that they had worked with him before and said, you know, yeah, he did the job, did well. His price was probably even slightly higher than the other bid that I had. But I was like, well, he's in town already. He's doing another job. We'll go with him because, you know, we're hearing things that are decent. And man, it was just another one of those situations where it was like, he kept dragging out the project. He'd send a crew for a couple of days. They'd leave and go do some other job. And, you know, it's not, it wasn't a crazy expensive prospect. It was a, it's called a limited use elevator. So it's, you know, like a $60,000 ish project. And uh, we, it just drug on and on and on. And we ended up having to fire him and go to the other company that had originally bid it, order a whole new elevator. We had to take him to court. He's supposed to be paying us back. He's kind of doing that. Uh, I mean, it, it was just, it was just such a mess. And uh, again, it's like that lesson of check your references and double check them. And then also fire people faster. Don't like, if it feels like it's going bad, have a tough conversation and then give them, you know, one shot. And if they don't, if, if, if you have to think that you're going to have that conversation again with them, it's probably time to pull the plug and move on and cut your yeah. losses and move on. Yeah. If you have any suspicion, like you need to put some attention on that right away. I learned that from another GoBundance bro. Good, good insights. So on that specific scenario, and dealing with contractors, do you pay them on a percentage complete method, um, which means like, okay, you do this, you get this much money. There's this much money for the job. When you do this, you're going to get that. When you complete that, you're going to get this much. Like how, how do you pay these guys? Yeah. So, so we've uh, gotten to the point now where our jobs are usually relatively large and those contracts are very, very kind of buttoned up and lined out as to and oftentimes the bank is holding the construction funds for us. So they've got required inspections. We've got required inspections. We're always walking through almost on a weekly basis, the projects that we're, we're, we're on. And so the contractor typically sends us a list of, all right, X, Y, and Z is done. And then they give us the breakdown as to what percentage of those projects are done. And we kind of gauge that. And then they get their payout for that piece. But we only pay when the work is completed aside from maybe some small deposits up front. Love that. On this historic project, did you explore finding a historic contractor who had a contractor who has historic uh, experience? Yeah, so it, it worked out pretty well. The the contractor that we had worked with on a on a project across the street from this, a different commercial building that we did, which wasn't historic, uh, and we had a good experience with him. We talked to him about this project. We walked through it with him. He had experience, you know, corn blasting brick and and doing all the things that that we wanted to do in here and lifting up foundations six inches and and, and all the stuff that was required on this on this building. And uh, so we had that relationship with him, and he happened to have the right level of experience to to come in and do it. Uh, and and that worked out well. Now, granted, we still went way over budget and. I mean, I, we started this project in like March of 2020 uh, in the building that I'm sitting in right now. Uh, and that was, you know, basically right when COVID started. And so there was all the challenges that came along with that, but we made it, we made it through. We refied this just actually just a, about a month ago and pulled most of our money out, which is great. Nice. Awesome, man. So uh, I'm, I'm now curious, what would you say is an investment that you've made that surprised you? Uh, in a physical asset or or otherwise? Physical, could be in yourself, could be in your family, whatever. 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would say uh, an investment that I probably six or seven years ago would never have made uh, would be just in, you know, kind of learning things for myself about business and, and time management and really not being afraid to spend money on things like GoFundins, for instance, which is not, you know, necessarily a cheap proposition to, to join. Uh, but man, the getting around the right people and hearing what they're doing and, and being able to bounce ideas off of people that have done what we're, you know, what we're doing uh, or things that are similar is just, it's really hard to put a price tag on that. And so investing money uh, in myself uh, in that way is, is, has been, has had surprising uh, benefits. I love that. So listeners, if you're wanting to surround yourself with epic individuals and increase your network worth and do epic things, go to gobundance.com, fill out the form. It's a special invitation only. Make sure you say Justin Ledford sent you uh, because GoBundance helped me tremendously. I used to have, you know, X million net worth. And after learning and being a part of it, it's now almost doubled within a year because of the tactics and the strategies and being around guys that have a net worth of a hundred million. There's people who have a billion dollar net worth in that, that group and you get to just talk with them. It's an incredible thing. I'm curious as far as what your role is now with, with your company. Yeah. So while we were building the company, um, myself and, and two other partners, we all had you know, pretty demanding, I would say, full-time jobs. And the the goal uh, along the way was to kind of be able to, when we wanted to, roll out of those jobs and work full-time for, you know, for Rice Pegger as a company. And so uh, in March of this year, I kind of officially uh, left the residential real estate world and the sales world. And I focus, you know, all day, every day now uh, on, on Rice Pegger. I'm the CEO of the company and, you know, my job is to kind of keep the ship running in the right direction, but also to think about the big picture and, and where we're going. And, uh, you know, I'm lucky to have two great partners to, to bounce ideas off of and that can also contribute to that, that overall long range direction. But it's certainly my job to, to think about that as much as possible and, and make sure we're moving in the right direction, keep the guys that we've hired, you know, on task and, and, uh, but, but also take a lot of time to think about the direction of the company in the long term. What is the role of your partners? So it, it varies depending on what they're up to in their other, in their other kind of businesses and day-to-day -day lives. But um, oftentimes they're pretty involved in the, on the construction side of things, uh, checking on projects, helping to make sure the contractors are staying on schedule. Um, it, it, but it does vary. Uh, depending on, on how busy they are in their other, their other aspects of their, their careers. You know, that's a interesting because like whenever I'm investing into an asset uh, and a syndication specifically, I like to, they say, trust, you know, do your due diligence, but, but, you know, vet the jockey. And it sounds like, you know, you've got almost a decade experience. You've got 130 plus doors. You, you understand the Burr method. Sounds like you're doing good things, man. What's the last book you've read that, from cover to cover that you're just like, wow, I like this. Yeah, I mean, along, along I guess, the lines of kind of the CEO role in the greater vision, uh, I would say Vivid Vision is one of the best books I've read in the past couple of years. Uh, at the end of 2021, 
is when I read that book and I sat down, I took the time to map out kind of a three-year plan for Rice Pegger. And, uh, and that has been instrumental in, in our growth, uh, especially over the, over the last uh, 11 or 12 months. Impressive. What would you say is your best process within your business? Say we're continually working on processes. That's, that's one of the hardest parts, I think, uh, for me. It, you know, I'm not a particularly process-driven individual. Uh, I love the idea of having them in place, uh, but I, it's not my greatest strength. So um, I think that the process that helps us the most is, is fairly informal, and it would just be consistency. You know, we look for deals every day. We're always analyzing deals. And uh, just the consistency and not being afraid to go bigger and and look harder and uh, and be more creative in the deal finding process. You know, as a somebody who would like to do what you're doing but just doesn't have the time, like I've looked at Crexy, I've looked at I don't even remember the other websites. What are where are places you look for deals? Uh, share them. Yeah, so I mean, the first deal we bought was off of LoopNet, which is like the kind of the Zillow for commercial real estate, you could say. And everybody says there's no deals to be found on LoopNet, but you know, we cashed out 85% of our money in 11 months in the first deal we bought, and that was on LoopNet. So uh, you can find them all over the place. We, we certainly utilize services like Prexy as well. And then a lot of it really is relational. So it's making sure that you're meeting as many brokers as you can on a regular basis, or at least, you know, having that initial meeting, and then following up with emails and talking to them on the phone, seeing what's going on in their world, what's going on in their pipeline. And, uh, and then just a lot of a lot of the deals that we're in that are on kind of this historic Main Street area uh, outside of Pittsburgh are word of mouth. So people will come to us and say, hey, we're, we think we're ready to sell our building and we want to sell it to you because we've seen the work that you guys have done. And that's the direction we want to see this, this town go in. So that's impressive. Right. Eric Rice with Rice Pegger. Y'all are doing big things and y'all are in Pennsylvania. Is that correct? Or Pittsburgh? Yeah, just outside of Pittsburgh. Yep. And other markets that y'all are in? Uh, I mean, Western PA is our focus right now. We have looked at expanding into two other states. Uh, Ohio actually is a neighboring state, and it's got some pretty interesting markets, Cleveland, uh, Columbus. But I think recently, you know, we've decided that, you know, with the, mar the market as tight as it is, we're, we're likely to find the best deals in the areas that we know the best right now, uh, although we're still, we're still branching out and kind of seeing and looking at other markets. And do you currently have any uh, syndications open or plans for syndications to come? Yeah, so it, it's just basically on a deal by deal basis. So when we when we come into uh, you know the next deal, which you know we're always kind of actively working on the next deal, um, that's that's kind of when we release a syndication. So we don't have anything that's open right now, but uh, I would expect in the next few months we'll have we'll have something out there. So listeners, if you're a contractor and you have capital. Uh, Eric, how can they reach out to you so they can be informed on future projects or maybe they'll reach out to you and say, hey, I'm a great contractor in this area. What's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me would be uh, you can you can hit me up on an email. My email is eric at ricepeggercapital.com and or you can you can shoot me a text. I'll give you direct cell numbers 412-980-4500. Uh, and you can also go to ricepegger.com. Uh, and find that information there. So love to hear from anybody. Always open to chat about investing. Uh, if you're a great contractor in Western PA, love to hear from you. We always, we're always looking to make new relationships. 
And lastly, is do you have an email list for uh, future investments? We do. The way it works, and you have to be careful about it because it is regulated by the SEC. So we've got to have a pre-existing relationship with, with people that we offer our syndications to. So what that means is we've got to have a couple of substantial meetings, you know, where we have a long phone conversation, uh, go out for a coffee, whatever that might be, a few times before you can kind of make it onto that list. But we do. Sure, sure. So listeners, if you happen to like what you're hearing and y'all, you're, you're open to investing and creating more wealth with your wealth, reach out to him. Make sure you tell him you, you found from Justin with Real Construction Owners uh, because, you know, I appreciate it. And this has been a blast. Today, we discussed your journey of acquiring 130 units. We discussed painful lessons. We discussed historic renovations. And this has been a blast, man. Thank you so much for being on the call today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it and uh, really enjoyed it.